Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova Said. I'm delighted to speak today with Keith Liveris, author of Conspiracy Culture, Post Soviet Paranoia, and the Russian Imagination, which was published by University of Toronto Press 2020. Keith Liveris is Associate Professor in the Department of Slavic and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas in Austin. He teaches Russian literature, 19th, 20th, and 21st century, culture, and cinema. He's the author of Constructing the Stalinist Body, Fictional Representations of Corporality in the Stalinist 1930s, published with Roman and Littlefield uh, Langston Books. Currently, Keith is working on weaponization of literature and cultural artifacts in eastern Ukraine. Hello, Keith. <laughs> nice to talk to you, Natalia. Well, uh, thanks for joining me today. So uh, I'm uh, very intrigued by the uh, name, by the title of the book, uh, and outlining the background of your work, you mentioned a few components, conspiracy theorizing, American context, and Russian context. I would like to talk about each of them. What scholarship on conspiracy theories informed your research, and what's the connection between American and Russian contexts in terms of interests in conspiracy theories? Um, so, uh, the in terms of you know what sort of theorizing or theoretical work on conspiracy um, sort of informed what I do. I mean, I think I can say this probably for anyone who's working on this topic um, uh, using the uh, the Russian material um, that you basically start with the American theory or sort of Anglophone theory. So, um, uh, people like Peter Knight. Um, Peter Knight is, is a is a is a Brit who works on conspiracy theory and who wrote a book. Um, uh, published in 2000, I think, um, about uh, conspiracy um, narratives in the American context. And you basically start out there because there's, there, there really, um, up until recently, has not been a lot of kind of sort of theoretical material about the Russian material. So what happens is um, you use uh, a sort of Anglophone um, theoretical apparatus. Um, and basically that um, that entire apparatus really comes out of a kind of re-envisioning um, of conspiracy narratives that occurs around um, the turn of the century, really 1999, 2000, a bunch of people, Mark Fenster, Peter Knight, Jody Dean, um, and various other people who um, produced what I would say is a, is, a, is a slightly more sympathetic reading of conspiracy narratives. Sympathetic, not in the sense of endorsing them, mm-hmm. but, um, but in trying to sort of flesh out or sort of tease out what conspiracy narratives um, uh, were attempting to say what they might what, what they might speak to us. Um, the you know the the alternative or the what sort of uh, preceded that was was uh, I guess what people have now, now sort of um, referred to as the kind of pathologizing approach to conspiracy narratives, which starts with uh, Richard Hofstadter's famous um, essay in Harper Harper's Magazine in, in 1964. Um, but in case these these more recent um, attempts uh, these sort of more I guess revisionist readings of conspiracy theory 
um, are all really sort of shaped around um, sort of the American material. Um, and so uh, that basically I sort of started out there. Um, I have to say, though, in terms of, in, in a sort of anecdotal way, um, uh, in terms of what, what what was the sort of catalyst for my interest in this, um, uh, it sounds a little strange, but um, it was partly just the fact that I was running into a lot of people um, uh, you know, sort of every day who seemed to be um, sort of invested in this topic. So, you know, I would, I, would, I would talk to people who were sort of people, essentially people on the street or friends or friends of friends um, um, who would uh, reveal uh, either immediately or over time that they were, um, that they were sort of amateur conspiracy theorists. <laughs> um, uh, sometimes in very strange ways, but um, so that was, I think that's part of the, the, the you know, the sort of everyday um, kind of, I guess, catalyst for my interest in it. Um, uh, also, of course, I have to mention that I, I live in Austin, and Austin um, is the home of Alex Jones. Um, and while not everyone knew Alex Jones, say, four or five years ago, well, six years ago, seven years ago, um, they all know who he is now. Um, uh, and he's been sort of uh, talking about these subjects um, since the mid-1990s, um, when he was basically just working out of his mother's basement, I think. Um, so uh, that was also part of the context. And then the, 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 the last component of it is, of course, the Russian stuff. And that actually um, began, I think, with, um, with Viktor Pelevin, who uh, um, is, of course, represents a chapter in the book, right? Um, because I noticed that, um, that Pelevin was using a lot of conspiracy uh, and occult motifs um, throughout his work, and still does, actually, um, uh, up to, you know, the next to the last work of the, uh, the um, well, actually, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm just currently working my way through his last work, um, uh, Invincible Sun. But, uh, but yeah, he's still using, using them pretty actively. And so um, it started, uh, that was also part of um, uh, what got me interested in this topic. I noticed. I just noticed that it was all over, and then it went from you know it went from there to um, uh, other authors like Prachanov, um, who's kind of the most important, sort of the king of conspiracy, um, uh, I suppose, in uh, contemporary Russian um, literature. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that preoccupation with conspiracy uh, conspiracy theories is not new for Russia, and you mentioned protocols of the elders of Zion and Dostoevsky's yeah. demons. You also mentioned other Russian writers, Kutcher, for example, to illustrate that conspiracy theory is some sort of tradition, if we can put it this way in Russian. Uh, would you talk a little bit about how conspiracy theories developed and became popular in Russia? Um, it, it depends, you know, now this depends, uh, I, I guess it depends on what, which, um, sort of, which sort of iteration of conspiracy theorizing we're talking about or which period. Um, I mean, in the, in the most, uh, or which you're most interested in. So the most recent period, obviously, is after 1991, right? Um, or beginning, I guess, in the late 1980s. Um, but if you go back in time, um, you will see that there are sort of eruptions of conspiracy discourse um, uh, that occur regularly over time. I mean, you can basically say the same thing about the American material as well. That, you know, people have made the made the argument that that conspiracy, sort of paranoid thinking, goes back to um, goes back to the 18th century, to the beginnings of of the of of, of this country. Um, the Russian material is, is is the Russian context is different, but um, uh, 
uh, I think that uh, sort of paranoid ideation, conspiracy narratives of one sort or another basically shape themselves around periods of uh, what I would call sort of historical social political turmoil. That's where we would expect to see them in any case, um, uh, whether it's in the United States, um, uh, in 19th century, 20th century, 21st century, or Russia in uh, 21st century, 20th century, early 20th century, late 19th century, and then before that. Um, so it sort of, it, it kind of depends. It depends on which period you're most interested in. Mm -hmm. But I suspect if you want to find um, a kind of beginning point, a point of origin for conspiracy theorizing um, in Russia, you probably would have to go back to the 17th century, so to the time of troubles. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I say that is because it, it's at that point um, at which, uh, at which because you know because of the because of that interregnum right between uh, uh, the Rurik dynasty and the Romanov dynasty because of this sort of um, immense kind of so, social political economic turmoil that you begin to see um, probably not so, not the sort of um, kind of large scale super conspiracy uh, ideas that we're familiar with but a sort of um, a kind of paranoia that is that that is sort of shaped around. Um, anxieties about uh, the sort of national narrative um, uh, because of this sort of th th this extraordinary um, chaos. Um, so anytime, so I mean, I think that really what you're what you're seeing um, uh, is a reaction to the country's westernization that produces uh, a reaction to this westernization, the westernization. Um, uh, that, at time, that at this point is already beginning and that pr produces this extraordinary um, kind of social chaos and turmoil. Um, so that's probably the point of origin. But then you can sort of point to any kind of historical pressure points over time um, uh, and see uh, a kind of, you know, these, these periodic eruptions of conspiracy theory, right? Uh, and usually in the Russian... Uh, in the Russian context, I would say they have to do um, precisely with uh, the sort of trauma of transition, with Westernization. Um, that's why I mentioned Tuchiv, but that's why I mean, it's not just me, of course, that, that mentions Tuchiv, but Tuchiv, um, but, but Tuchiv's sort of, uh, kind of paranoid ideas about the, uh, about the West are really uh, sort of, I think, conservative reactions to, um, uh, to this process of Westernization. Well, uh, I would say that uh, to some extent your book um, kind of historicizes this conspiracy preoccupation uh, in the Russian um, context uh, as well. So, but, but how would you explain the fact that Russian context appeared rather susceptible to conspiracy theories, while the other, the West in particular, doesn't cease to be viewed as a threat in Russia? Uh, you also make references to the... What did you say? Why the? I just didn't hear what you said. The why the what? Why the other? The West in particular uh, doesn't cease to be viewed as a threat uh, in Russia. And you also make references to the current political situation, suggesting that Putin's political strategies, in fact, contribute to the support of conspiracy theories against Russia. So your question is, I mean, as I understand it, your question is essentially why uh, why these theories are so resilient, why the, why the West does not stop being... Um, this kind of um, sort of demonized other that's 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 constantly scheming 
um, in, in attempting to undermine um, Russia. I mean, this is, um, again, a sort of historical question, but I think that, um, I suspect that uh, these are sort of, it, it, it's a good question. It's also sort of a question that requires, I think, some deep probing. But it seems to me that what you have is a case uh, is where you have what you have is a case of a country um, that has uh, this sort of kind of long-standing messianic narrative about itself, right? That goes back to really the 16th century, right? The idea of Moscow as the Third Rome, and the op- and, and you have uh, you, you the, uh, so on the one hand you have Russia with its with its uh, sort of exceptionalist narrative. Uh, but then um, you, you you have uh, this sort of long-standing um, kind of conflict with the West, this sort of antagonism, this love-hate relationship with the West, um, since also probably the late 17th century um, or earlier, right? Um, and I think it's it's that sort of contest, um, it's that sort of sense of of one's own sort of kind of exceptionalist narrative, the sort of messianic narrative of Russian greatness that's constantly threatening to be undone, mm-hmm. or, um, is con- constantly threatened by the West, um, and is probably implicit in the sort of ambivalent relationship that Russia has with, uh, with the, you know, the big other, which is the West. Um, I think that's kind of built into the country's relationship. And so in a sense, you could see, I mean, you could really say that um, conspiracy modality, the conspiracy mode, um, is kind of hardwired or baked into Russia's relationship um, with the West, precisely because there are um, essentially really competing narratives of, of of national excellence. Particularly if you sort of counter, if you juxtapose the United States with Russia, right? These are two countries um, that are you know sort of notoriously preoccupied with each other. And I think they're preoccupied with each other precisely because they both have um, these kind of competing narratives of of. of, of so not messianic necessarily, um, but certainly narratives of of, uh, uh, of sort of exceptionalist narratives, um, and to the extent that Russia has felt threatened by the West um, for various reasons, um, this uh, the, the 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 sense of being of uh, of of a sort of conspiring other, right? Um, which I think I talk about in the book also, is also kind of baked into the relationship. Um, now, in terms of Putin um, and how this uh, how this is sort of played out um, uh, in more recent times, um, I think it's really towards the the end of the 1990s, the early 2000s, um, that Russian conspiracy uh, theorists and sort of public intellectuals, Ilya Yadlikov talks about this in his book, um, uh, and various other figures, um, uh, and of course Putin himself, um, begins to uh, use this idea of the West, particularly the West sort of um, that's you know, kind of anchored, um, sort of anchored together, uh, tied together with uh, with the U.S. Um, this idea. Um, it's it's at that point that he begins to sort of weaponize this idea um, of the West West that is constantly conspiring uh, to undermine Russia's greatness or sort of constant has so much greatness but that collapsed the country it has several different motifs I guess mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's ongoing 
Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, that, that what you have there, I think, is, is, is kind of a, a sort of conspiracy meta narrative mm-hmm. um, that attempts to account for uh, what happened in 1991 and then what happened uh, over the course of the 1990s um, and is essentially still um, a possibility, right? So in 1991, you have the collapse of the Soviet Union followed by um, the chaos of the so-called Lihi Dilemoste, right? The rough and tumble 1990s. Um, That, uh, you know, and so around those events, there's a sort of conspiracy narrative um, that uh, talks about the West, mainly the United States, um, toppling uh, of the Soviet Union, right? We collapsed the Soviet Union. It was done intentionally. Um, and then the sort of an enormous wave of chaos that ensued. Um, all of that, of course, is seen as intentional. Now, um, uh, the, uh, the sort of kind of counterpoint to that, of course, is what happens in 2000 with Putin, the beginning of the Putin era, right? Um, but the possibility uh, of a sort of uh, kind of return to that chaos is something uh, that always lingers in the back of the uh, of the sort of kind of the, the Russian sort of of Russian paranoia, I guess. Well, I I have one more uh, question about. Uh, I don't know if that, if that really answers. I don't know if that entirely answers your question, but um, but if it doesn't, you just can ask a follow up. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, but um, nevertheless, I still have one uh, question uh, which pertains to uh, history. Uh, so you mentioned some popularity of uh, pseudo-historical works, particularly in uh, Russia. Oh, you mean like Nikolai Starikov? Mm-hmm. So would you comment on that? And maybe maybe we can also um, compare and contrast with conspiracy theories in this regard in American context. <laughs> Um, well, if you're, uh, yeah, if you're, so if you're asking about, because um, I think uh, I wrote um, uh, a bit about Nikolai Stadikov, right? So Nikolai Stadikov is this kind of, I guess you would call him a pseudo-historian. Um, he's actually very, you know, he's very popular because he shows up on, um, uh, he shows up on Russian political talk shows. I don't know if you watch any, but um, I, I watch them pretty regularly. There's one called The Great Game, Bashai Igra. Um, and then... Um, uh, there's a, another political talk show. It's really kind of horrible, but um, it's called 16 Minutes. It, it comes on every day. And he shows up there regularly. Um, he also shows up on uh, Sunday evening with Vladimir Solovyov. And what's interesting about him is that he really only shows up in his capacity as this kind of, um, I guess you would call it sort of, you know, a popular historian or a popularizing historian or pseudo-historian, whatever. But he certainly only shows up there um, in his uh, capacity as a conspiracy theorist, um, that's that's clearly why he's invited, and he's written many many books, um, really too many to read. Um, uh, published um, by I think Peter, I think is the publishing house in Saint Petersburg, um, and these are sort of popularizing um, kind of historical works um, that uh, talk about this sort of essentially, uh, I guess, centuries long attempt to collapse Russia or um, dismember Russia or whatever it is. There, there, there are a few sort of uh, themes that are repeated over and over, but the basic, um, sort of the basic premise of his works, um, if you look for a kind of um, underlying meta-narrative, um, is that there has been, um, you know, that, that, that any sort of historical pressure point, any um, 
um, any sort of revolution or you know or, or sort of revolt. Um, going back to the Decembrist, um, the Decembrists, I think, is something that has been orchestrated from 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 outside. So is the result of what um, current conspiracy theorists or um, would call technologies, right? So there's nothing that happens. Um, uh, that no, there's nothing that happens by chance, and that's I suppose that's you know that that's um, kind of par for the course for a conspiracy, for the conspiracy um, modality in general. But um, uh, for him, there is no uh, there, there's sort of no historical um, uh, kind of period of turmoil um, that has that was not really um, uh, the, the project of technologies that were employed by um, uh, the intelligence services. Um, particularly the British and the American. So whether it's the Decemberist revolt or whether it's, uh, whether it's you know, the, the October Revolution, the Bolsheviks, 1991, this is all, um, these are all kind of iterations of a long-standing project to undermine Russia geopolitically. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, I mean, in that sense, it, it, it's, it's a fairly simple, it's kind of a, a fairly simple um, idea um, that, Allows for the possibility of, of you know, sort of um, inserting kind of new elements at any moment. So, for instance, um, I think he was he was on he was on either um, sixty minutes or Bolshoi um, Gra, the the great game, fairly recently in connection with events um, in Belarus and then also Kyrgyzstan. Um, and of course, there the idea was simply um, uh, to, to to have him occasionally comment on what was. Um, again, uh, an attempt by the West, the United States, and whoever else, um, uh, to collapse the Russian Federation by um, by uh, basically creating chaos um, in uh, throughout the former uh, throughout the post-Soviet space. So, Kyrgyzstan or Belarus or, of course, Ukraine. So, any of these um, sort of historical um, any of these any of these uh, points, um, historical moments, can be seen as um, as part of this kind of larger, mm-hmm. um, long-standing project, um, and so I was mostly interested in people. I think, and I think I mentioned mostly uh, people like that. And there, are, you know, there are other um, sort of uh, historians or pseudo-historians like Alek Platonov, who writes about uh, about Russian Freemasonry, Russian Masons, um, uh, and uh, as well. But uh, but I think I, I I was more interested in people like Stadikov. Um, you know, particularly because because um, you know their their sort of views are you know pretty pretty well disseminated um, uh, across the Russian media. Like I said, you would see him anytime um, there is a there is a kind of need for for this particular sort of commentary. Well, uh, what you just said is very uh, it's very interesting, and it makes me think about this relationship between um, conspiracy theorists and the state in general, because from what you described, it looks like the state actually supports the dissemination of these conspiracy theories, because all the uh, programs that you enumerated um, are shown at the uh, stations which uh, support the um, official um, um, programs and the official position of the Kremlin. Uh, so, in other words, uh, I, I can understand why conspiracy theorists can be very well disseminated because they sometimes easy to understand and it's easy to influence the uh, um, use of 
the audience and construct and shape the views of the audience and to translate some sort of um, um, official understanding of the events outside Russia as well. Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, I mean, in the in the case of, you know, uh, the state, uh, the Russian state being actively involved in, in the dissemination, you know, production, dissemination of conspiracy theories, if you think about it, it really makes it, it, it there's there's a kind of logic behind it. Um, and that logic simply is that since since the, the vast majority of Russian conspiracy narratives have to do precisely um, with this kind of larger geopolitical contest, right, um, uh, and with a sort of uh, these these kind of longstanding fears about the collapse of um, uh, of the Russian state, it does make some sense that that. that, that uh, you would have these. You would have the state as an actor that that sort of mobilizes them towards its defense, right? Because I mean, it, I mean, really, it has to do with a kind of core um, sort of conspiracy narrative in, in the United States, for instance, in the American material. There isn't an equivalent. Um, I mean, or the, the shape of the conspiracy narrative is different. It has much more to do with individual agency, for the most part. Um, uh, although there are many variations on that, but um, in, in the Russian case, I mean, it's definitely um, mostly about threats to the, to Russia as a state, and we see that, for instance, um, in, in uh, throughout Prakhanov's work, right? And so it does make some sense, I suppose. Um, there's a kind of logic to the fact that um, that you would have this sort of large scale official um, weaponization or mobilization of conspiracy theories. Um, and of course, I mean, we know that through uh, in, in the 1990s and the 2000s, it was public intellectuals um, who were at the forefront um, of uh, sort of, uh, kind of weaponizing or, or implementing uh, or utilizing conspiracy theories. Um, people like Prakhanov or Dugin, for instance, um, are, the, are, are, are sort of the, the point where that starts. There was something else I was going to say, which was a response to something you said, but I forgot. So, um, for your book, uh, you use uh, quite a various cultural material uh, to illustrate how the conspiracy theories are either disseminated or what kind of um, artistic form they may find uh, either in films or in uh, novels. So, you did mention uh, Pilevin, uh, but uh, you also analyze um, <clears throat> Bakman Bielov's films as well. And in one of your um, chapters, you mentioned Stephen um, Norris's explanation of the film's success, um, and uh, it said the following: They seem to speak directly and force, uh, forcefully to the uh, Russian soul. So, uh, I guess one of my questions will be: uh, What's the Russian soul in conspiracy theories? <laughs> what is the Russian soul in conspiracy theory? Um, uh, well, that's an interesting question. Um, I think. Um, now, sort of, we're kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, so the Russian soul, um, I think that uh, the easiest way probably to say that, um, now, um, I don't know that it necessarily applies uh, to the two films by Big Bang Bietov. Maybe we can talk about that separately. But I think that um, if we're talking about some of these cultural artifacts, um, the Russian soul um, represents uh, or threats to the Russian soul. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, are a separate subset of um, of these uh, within the sort of conspiracy narrative. So you can talk about sort of um, geopolitical conspiracy um, 
uh, stories, um, which are the ones uh, that deal with threats to the state, um, uh, uh, fragmentation or collapse or whatever. Um, uh, the many of the conspiracy theories that came uh, that, that came out of 1990, what happened in 1991, and the um, uh, and the uh, um, rough and tumble 1990s. Um, but then there's a sort of special subset, which I think is a, is a very significant one, and that is threats to the Russian soul, right? Um, so uh, I think um, I'm trying to figure out what the, how the best way to describe this is. I mean, I think that. Um, Unlike, for instance, in the American material, there 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 has been um, over time um, uh, and continues to be a sense that um, part of uh, the, the sort of threat to Russia's greatness um, uh, is a threat to its sort of cultural potency, and I think that's one of the the points that I try to make um, that I make really repeatedly in the book. That is. Um, it's it's kind of it's it's a Russian it's a threat to sort of Russian spirituality, which is one of the you know, sort of one of the um, uh, one of the culture's biggest assets and best selling assets, right? If we think about Russian culture, we think about Russian literature, we think about Tolstoy and Dostoevsky um, uh, and and uh, and many others. Kuchev is uh, is is someone who comes up in this context. Um, there's a wonderful there's a wonderful anecdote um, in, in Victor Pulevin's Homo Sapiens, which is Generation P in Russian, um, which involves uh, a vodka advertisement for Smirnoff vodka, um, and um, it quotes basically, um, uh, or it, it, it's a it's a quote from from Tuchiv, um, uh, about uh, uh, which has to do precisely with uh, with uh, sort of Russia's spiritual exceptionalism. Um, that you can't understand Russia with the mind, that, that, that Russia can only be believed in. Well, so um, in this uh, particular episode in the novel, um, uh, you, have, uh, you, you have this um, advertisement for Smirnov vodka, um, and that, that famous phrase is rendered in a kind of semi-literate um, Latin transliteration. Um, and what's interesting about it, um, from the standpoint of, of this uh, of this idea of the Russian soul, is that Tuchiv's, I mean, Tuchiv's, Tuchiv here represents the mysteriousness, the mystique of the Russian soul, right? But in the book, um, it's something that's uh, that basically becomes a sort of advertising gimmick. Um, and so I think, um, and, and that is one of those sort of um, kind of funny anecdotes in the book that really sort of exemplifies, um, I think, a kind of almost universal Russian fear, um, and not just about commercialization or commodification, um, which is sort of the thematic heart of this book, but, um, but about this sort of, kind of large-scale threat to Russian, the, the, sort, of, the sort of narratives of, of, sort of traditional narratives of the Russian self, right? Russian spirituality, duhovnost. Um, uh, and this is something that comes up over and over again as a sort of part, um, as a sort of component of this conspiracy against Russia. In other words, how do you go about collapsing a, a country? Well, I mean, there are multiple ways that you can do that. I mean, there are sort of geo, there's, there, there are geopolitical technologies that can be used, but you can also um, uh, you can also use more sort of um, you, you can use more sort of uh, sophisticated methods or, or, or more sort of specific methods. In this case, um, uh, 
It has to do uh, with a corruption um, of the sort of core uh, kind of story of self, the sort of core Russian narratives, and that has to do with spirituality. And so if you look, for instance, at Kalevin, um, that's one of the things that keeps coming up again and again. Um, well, in this novel in particular, um, uh, but it's really about, it, it's about a corruption of the Russian soul, about a, a, a sort of erosion of Russian spirituality and an erosion of cultural potency. That's one of the, one of the sort of um, the most uh, kind of poignant fears that's evoked in this novel is sort of a collapse of um, what uh, Pelevin talks about as eternity, but it's pretty, it's pretty clear if you read, um, if you read, if you read that novel closely, that, that eternity there is simply a metaphor for this sort of larger universe of kind of spiritual signifiers. Um, now, uh, if you look at another uh, another uh, sort of uh, writer like Prakhanov, he talks about it as duhovnesmusli, so sacred signifiers. So part of this battle. Um, that is being waged between Russia and the West has to do with the West's attempt to undermine the country's sort of spiritual signifiers, so to speak, right? So it's it's, it's kind of cultural, um, sort of deep spiritual um, values and narratives. Um, and what's interesting about I think about the Russian what's what's truly interesting about the Russian material is the the degree of preoccupation precisely with that. Because you wouldn't see that in the American, um, in the American context, it's it's, it's simply not there. Um, there are other things that we're anxious about, but it's certainly not cultural artifacts, and not um, uh, not these sort of spiritualizing narratives. Now, a, a, um, a good example of this, actually, which I think I also mentioned, um, has to do with Pussy Riot. Um, the reason that it's a good example is that most people, when they think of um, uh, of the, the, the Pussy Riot, um, uh, punk prayer, right? You think of it, um, as most people in the West, I suspect, think of it as um, as, as an instance um, as having to do with sort of freedom of expression, artistic um, freedom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's how it's perceived here. But in, in, in Russia, it was really perceived very differently. It was perceived um, as, uh, I mean, because there was this sort of very elaborate conspiracy narrative that, that, that arose around um, what happened um, in the Cathedral of Christ uh, the Savior. So um, and that sort of conspiracy narrative had, um, you know, had all these uh, components, but basically um, it sort of boils down to uh, an attempt, again, orchestrated, choreographed by the West, um, uh, by the United States or, or, or Canada or whoever was involved, um, to sort of corrupt um, uh, the, uh, sort of erode people's faith in the, in the Orthodox Church and the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church being a pillar of Russian, contemporary Russian identity, not just contemporary, obviously, but um, so again, a kind of um, weaponized threat directed at the Russian soul. So, so corrupting force is outside Russia. Uh, yeah, no, no. So not erupting. I mean, erupting is it's, it's, it's probably not the right word for it. So simply, so it's a technology. Corrupting. Um, I meant corrupting force. Oh, corrupting. Yes, yes, absolutely. So I mean, the idea would be um, that if you you know um, if you can't if you can't collapse a state um, for obvious reasons, um, geopolitically, so you go, um, you know, the, the, the next best thing is to sort of corrupt its moral architecture. Um, and in the Russian case, how do you do that? You do that by um, uh, kind of striking a blow at the Russian Orthodox Church. And that's exactly how um, it was portrayed. Um, 
that I think is, is is a good example of it, simply because you know again from the from if if you if you sort of contrast that with a Russian with a, with a Western perspective, um, I, I really don't think anyone would quite understand what that was why that seemed particularly threatening. But it's really about um, a sort of um, attack of uh, an attack or is perceived as as an attack on the sort of sacred space, right? Um, and that uh, if, if, if you know, if you um, manage to, to to sort of erode or corrupt that sacred space, um, that is what will allow you to sort of collapse the the, the country um, in you know in, in a more direct way. It does seem a bit exotic, I suppose, but um, but it's not. Uh, it's certainly not unprecedented. I mean, I'd obviously, um, you know, um, I talk about Dostoevsky's demons, right? Um, which involves a conspiracy, right? Um, um, although in this case, mostly imaginary, um, since there aren't very many members um, of of, uh, of the conspiracy, except the, the, the ones who um, uh, who are participating in that provincial town. But um, but there too, um, what's interesting about this conspiracy is precisely that um, it, uh, uh, it it's a conspiracy that's directed against the. I'm trying to think of a better word for it than spiritual signifiers, but I can't really think of one. So the, the sort of cultural, the sort of deep um, cultural, spiritual underpinnings of Russia. Um, and that's actually what produces the conflagration at the end of the novel. I mean, the, 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 the fire, I mean, as, as uh, if the, uh, the husband, the, the, the governor von Lemke says, I think, um, the fire is, 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 is in the minds, right? It's, 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 it's a conflagration that occurs in people's um, in people's mental space, um, and it's one that comes about because of the sort of corrupting of language um, mm-hmm. that we see, you know, that, that, that sort of played out throughout that novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is is a sort of uh, typically Russian, um, and one of those things that's also quite that, that's, that, that seems quite exotic from a Western perspective. Um, it's not surprising, and I, I bring this up in the book. Um, uh, I can't remember who it was, um, an Orthodox priest who wrote about the Pussy Riot affair and who brought up demons um, as, exa- as, as as sort of you know, kind of foreshadowing um, uh, something like this, or, or, or as you know, kind of illustrating exactly um, this kind of uh, sinister um, attempt to undermine Russia's spirituality. So it's, the, the, the Russian soul. Um, uh, strangely enough, is uh, is at the heart um, of this uh, anti-Russian conspiracy, this Russophobic conspiracy. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, your comments made me think about censorship. Uh, censorship that goes back um, centuries and centuries ago, but I'm particularly interested in the 19th century. And yes, I absolutely agree uh, with this statement that uh, when we read about Russia, or uh, first of all, we think about Russian literature and Russian spirituality. However, Mm -hmm. it looks to me that Russian spirituality was very much... um, uh, institutionalized and I would say instrumentalized, uh, particularly in the 19th century when Russian spirituality was used by the state uh, to actually describe this um, uh, messiah um, mission, uh, so to speak, uh, for the uh, entire world. So 
Uh, I'm going back to our conversation about corrupting and corruption and corrupting force. And what you just said about this very, um, I would say, complex relationships between Russian contexts and the contexts from the outside uh, make me think about as maybe self-corrupting to some extent? Um, it, well, it depends. Um, I mean, self-corrupting, um, I, I think, it, I mean, the, the, the problem is uh, uh, the sort of reality versus um, what we're going to see in the conspiracy narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, in the conspiracy narrative, um, I mean, in any sort of, uh, sort of normative conspiracy narrative, um, the corrupting force is always something that's external mm -hmm. to the self, right? Now, whether or not, um, uh, whether or not that sort of, um, it's a good question. I don't, I don't exactly know the answer to that, but I may not um, have necessarily understood your question either. Um, in other words, you're, you're asking, you know, whether the state itself has not undermined Russian spiritual, mm -hmm. spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I suppose yes, um, uh, and that's something um, that is sort of a long-standing issue, certainly since um, since the reforms of Peter the Great, I suppose, right? Since the undermining, mm -hmm. uh, not undermining, but but uh, um, since the institution of the, of the Holy Synod under under Peter the Great. So um, I don't know whether um, whether it fits naturally in a in um, a kind of in, in the kinds of conspiracy narratives that you would see. Mm -hmm. um, whether objectively um, the Russian, you know, the, the Russian state has not um, uh, sort of uh, in multiple ways um, undermined its, you know, undermined itself. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a completely, that's a completely different um, topic, I think. But it never, but I can I can assure you, but I can tell you that it probably it never really figures in any sort of conspiracy mm -hmm. story. Um, do you have a chance to teach this um, topic to your students? Um, I do. Yes, <laughs> that's I'm doing it right now. Although um, we it's 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 a it's a conspiracy course for freshmen, and so we haven't really gotten. I mean, we're just now reading. Um, we just now started reading Homo Zapiens. We read Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Um, which I hadn't read. I mean, I hadn't read in a couple of years, and I'd forgotten how how atrociously it's written. Um, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting conspiracy narrative, but um, but the actual style is is, is horrific, and so um, it was a bit hard to get through. Um, but yeah, we just started. We, we just started Homo Zapiens, um, and we talked about the 1990s and, right, uh, and the, the collapse. What, of the what are students' responses to uh, to this material? Well, I mean, so, I mean, this is sort of in general. Um, I mean, everyone, you know, students are sort of familiar with it um, mm -hmm. because conspiracy stories are everywhere at this point. Um, but um, I think it's it's the same. It's the same sort of um, it's the same response that most people have, and that is, why is it um, why is it that they're so paranoid about um, attempts to sort of collapse the Russian state? I mean, why is, you know, because simply because conspiracy stories um, that they're familiar with are really more about the um, sort of erosion of individual identity. Um, maybe it's changing a little bit because of Trump um, uh, during the Trump era, but 
Um, and then also this kind of preoccupation with spirituality, why that, why that is so important. Um, that I think is really, um, you know, that, that, I think that's what they usually say. And they also say, I mean, the, the, one of the questions they regularly ask um, is, are there, is precisely the question that you, is sort of a variant of what you were asking, and that is, are there um, Russian conspiracy theories that deal with, um, that are more internally focused, that look at the Russian government mm -hmm. um, as a conspiracy actor, as the originator of conspiracies. Um, and that I think is the is, is the most exotic thing for them because it's always the first question: where where are the conspiracy theories that are analogous to the ones that we know, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and there just aren't that many. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's what's um, what, what's strange to them: mm -hmm. this sort of sense of of Russia as this kind of besieged, embattled fortress nation that is being you know, that, that, that is being targeted from outside. Um, but yeah, maybe, I mean, it's... it's yeah. mm -hmm. So um, can conspiracy uh, theory or theorizing be normalized and can it be presented as an essential part of the worldview construction and absorbed in the cultural and political dimensions of the uh, country? Because uh, from what we were talking today about, uh, it's like conspiracy theory is something, well, it's something additional, it's something there, and we may consider it, but however, there is always this kind of uh, note that it's a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. So uh, can it be normalized? Can it become part of the sort of everyday functioning, um, or sort of our everyday functioning? Um, uh, I think that, uh, I mean, the... You know, the simple answer to that is um, that uh, it has been. Mm -hmm. Now, the example that most people are, examples rather that people are going to be most familiar with are, are the ones that are, that reflect our own experience. I and mean, we've seen, you know, in this country since 2016, um, uh, because Trump um, sort of allied himself to, to people who are conspiracy theorists and became... Um, became a, a sort of proliferator of conspiracy theories that, that in fact, they, they, they have been normalized. They were sort of outliers. They were marginalized before 2016, but, um, mm -hmm. but they are no longer um, uh, as marginalized um, uh, as they were before. And I don't think there's any way to put that toothpaste back in the tube. Um, so once, once it, they have become mainstream, and they already were sort of mainstream, but in terms of popular culture, so um, it's very difficult to um, uh, to sort of um, kind of restore um, uh, sort of appeal to some earlier uh, ideal of, of of you know or, or time where they were where they were actually sort of marginal. So I mean, they, they absolutely can, and they can be sort of um, utilized by people in power. Obviously, we've seen that here. Um, we saw it. We, we saw it in Russia long before we saw it here. So in, in, in Russia, certainly since um, since two thousand, um, and they became part of the sort of public, this kind of large scale public narrative. Um, uh, and so, you know, we were kind of you know late to the game, but um, they absolutely can. Um, uh, I would expect. I mean, again. Um, I'm, I'm sort of following events here pretty closely, um, and I thought it was pretty interesting that people 
um, at least one person who's um, a sort of QAnon conspiracy um, believer uh, is um, is now in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So Marjorie Green from from uh, state of Georgia. Um, so uh, I, I think we probably can assume that they are going to play a larger role in the public space. Um, now in Russia, um, there's no reason to assume uh, that that would diminish. Um, Especially since they've they've essentially you know employed um, kind of paranoid uh, uh, ideation or sort of ideologies other conspiracy narratives um, so effectively as as a means of generating social cohesion. I mean that's one of the things that they that they're particularly um, effective um, at doing, right? Because you have this precisely because you have this juxtaposition of an embattled self um, and some sort of um, kind of sinner sinister plotting. Um, other, um, there's there's no reason um, that they would. Uh, I think that they would scale any of that back. Mm-hmm. Um, um, again, in 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 Russia, they are so much a part of the sort of kind of um, political rhetoric, um, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone really uses them to some extent or appeals to them. Um, sometimes with a wink and a nod. I mean, for instance, on you know on, on these political talk shows, you see people who may themselves not be um, particularly uh, sort of, they may not be conspiracy believers, but they, but they invite, um, you know, people like Nikolai Stadikov and other sort of um, conspiracy adepts onto their show. And they, they, you know, they occasionally, um, uh, they will occasionally reference, you know, sort of conspiracy ideas themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Solovyov does it um, uh, sort of, you know, pretty consciously. I mean, um, uh, Putin has has also used them, you know, pretty, um, or sort of, uh, you know, at least referred to them. Um, uh, in fact, very specific conspiracy memes. Um, so uh, there's no reason um, that they. I mean, there, there's no. I don't think there's any reason to expect that we'll see them being rolled back. Mm-hmm. That's if that's what you're mm-hmm. asking, because mm-hmm. uh, they've been very effective. I mean, now here, I don't actually. Um, it's 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 maybe it's a little harder to say because we have a new president, we right? Um, it's uh, but but the question is, um, you know, will is that really going to make a big difference in terms um, uh, in terms of the, the the sort of rhetoric that's out there? And I suspect that. No, because as I said, once you've um, once you've sort of let the let the genie out, it's very difficult um, to kind of claw back that situation before. Um, mm-hmm. Well, thank you. So I much. wish I could be more. I wish I could be more um, optimistic or, or, or more, you know, provide more hope. But um, but I just think that uh, there's not, um, you know, there's no, there's there's no reason to think that we can somehow reverse this trend uh, and and particularly not in russia um i mean we know that you know there there i mean i think there was there was a, um there was a poll that was done in 2018 that's and and basically i think it was i think it was a fairly reputable poll, reputable poll and um uh basically what they what they said or the result was that like 66% of russian uh, citizens believe in some attempt, uh, some sort of anti-Russian, some sort of Russophobic conspiracy, 
um, uh, which included, among other things, an attempt by the West to undermine Russia's historical greatness. Um, uh, so some sense of, you know, basically, basically to sort of undermine what Russians um, uh, kind of universally accept as, uh, as a sort of, sort of mm. exceptionalist narrative, but maybe, maybe messianic narrative is a bit much for the everyday person, but some sort of exceptionalist um, mm-hmm. story uh, uh, of uh, sort of Russian history. Um, uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting as well, that a, that, a, that a significant part of that was, you know, was was a conspiracy, um, uh, a conspiracy threat that was aimed at Russia's historical greatness. Yeah, we didn't talk uh, about the Soviet era, unfortunately, but uh, I think the conspiracy theory uh, was quite popular uh, during the uh, Soviet era as well, and it also contributed to the support of uh, its popularity today as well. However, what, uh, well, again, uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but however, uh, for some reason, conspiracy theory turned out to be still popular for Russia, but not that probably uh, popular for other uh, post-Soviet. Post-Soviet, so yeah. Yeah, it's another, I was I was actually thinking about that, um, and I think that you know the reason for that um, is precisely. I mean, again, I think it goes back to these, you know, these um, these sort of messianic narratives, and, and um, you know, since Russia has essentially um, kind of you know perceived itself, it's it's sort of it, it's its own greatness in the world, its own you know the sense of Russia as a Vilika Dirjava. I mean, stems from uh, from this you know centuries long tradition of uh, messianic thinking, which is then you know which which has many different iterations, but in some sense always comes down to this idea of Russia of Moscow as a third Rome. I, I think it stems um, it, or, or, or sort of has to do with precisely that. And if there isn't if there isn't that sort of an exceptionalist story, then it becomes very difficult, or, or, or you're not as inclined, perhaps to this kind of um, sort of paranoid thinking. Um, I, sus- I mean, that's that's sort of my gut level sense about it. I mean, you know, Russia, I mean, Ukraine, um, Belarus, there, there just isn't any, for obvious reasons, there isn't any tradition of that. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's no sense of oneself as being, um, uh, as kind of being a, a, a sort of target in the same way, I mm-hmm. suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Keith. Thank you so much yes. for this wonderful conversation, and yes. thank you, and uh, thank you for the book, uh, which uh, help us better understand not just the cultural dimension of Russia, but political and social as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Uh, today I spoke with Keith uh, Libraries, author of Conspiracy Culture, Post-Soviet Paranoia and the Russian Imagination, published by University of Toronto Press in 2020.